maybe it's not a good service or maybe it's not going to be a good product or a good business. Maybe it's something that people like and appreciate, but if you can't figure out a scalable way to do it, you're not going to be around doing that for those customers forever. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today, Yakin Fletcher. How you doing, Yakin? I'm doing super well, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure and nice to have you back. And you recognize Yakin's name because, well, he was a guest on the show already. And we can put in the show notes which episode that is. So we're not going to talk about his best ever advice. Instead, we're going to be talking about how to scale a business nationwide. So it is Skill Set Sunday today. Yakin is the founder and CEO of Nestegg, a platform for property management and maintenance that makes being a landlord refreshingly easy. Worked as a chief technology officer and VP of product at Expedia and is based in Chicago, Illinois. So first, Yakin, how about just quickly a refresher of what you do now, and then we can talk about specifics on how to scale a business nationwide. Sure. As you said in the very nice intro, I started about a couple of years back now building an app landlords to be able to manage their own properties. We spotted a gap in the market where there really was no other apps out there that help you fix problems at your rental units and deal with all the logistics and tenant issues and just all the time-consuming grind. So we built a product that takes that problem away and it kind of puts the life back in your life, I think, is how we look at it. And a lot of our customers have been able to grow their portfolios significantly beyond where they thought they could, both from a time and money point of view. Their NOI goes up by significantly more than 10% straight away when they switch to us. And time they spend managing their properties just drops to the floor. So that's what we're doing now. I'm the CEO. I have a, a couple of co-founders, one of whom takes care of marketing uh, and the other one who, who takes care of finance operations. And we are in the middle of a fairly aggressive scaling exercise, which I think is the topic you want to talk about today. So hopefully some fresh wounds and lessons to share <laughs> for your audience there. And things are going great for us. We have had over 200% growth every month for the last six, seven months. So it's really incredible. And, uh, and that's presenting us with a whole fresh set of challenges. Just when you think you have the formula nailed, mm-hmm. you have a good product that helps people, they love it. And, and then that itself creates a new set of challenges around how you keep, keep pace with the demand. So I guess that's probably where we're at, I guess. All right. Well, let's dig in there. Before we do, you say there are a couple of co-founders. One is focused on finance operations, the other marketing. So does that put you focused on product or what is your focus? So as a tech guy myself, you mentioned I used to lead tech at Expedia. I'm always focused on the product and the technology underneath it. So my main role, I'd say right now, is steering the way the functionality evolves to continue to meet the needs 
of our customers. We are very grateful to have earned the business of quite a lot of good customers. And I think another thing I'd say is maybe a little lesson is we're also very grateful for how willing those customers are to share with us what else they'd like to see in the product. So that's how I spend the majority of my time is listening to customers, looking for the extra opportunities, looking for those little friction points, and then figuring out the best way to solve those problems. So it's primarily a problem-solving job as a way to look at it, and then solve those problems with technology so that it stays scalable. And so that's how I spend my time. We have a, a team of 10, so we have plenty of development capacity to throw at these problems and make sure we're building world-class technology that scales. So let's talk about, you're going through an aggressive scaling exercise now. What are the components of an aggressive scaling exercise? The first thing I'd say for people to think about when they think about scaling a company is the difference between getting bigger and being scalable, right? So those are two very different things. And I think a mistake a lot of people make is just getting bigger. How do I get more customers? How do I roll out to more cities? You know, how do I add more products? Whatever it is you're thinking about. But you always have to be thinking about the leverage that you're creating as you go. Otherwise, all you do is sure you grow your user base, you grow your revenue base, but you're also growing your overheads and your costs, sometimes in excess of how you're growing your revenues. So I think when you first start a new company, your primary goal is product market fit. And you don't really care if it's efficient or cost effective or scalable because you're just trying to figure out what's that exact little thing that customers love that really helps them out a ton. They really appreciate it. They enjoy using it and it's worth paying for. That's what you're trying to find. Mm -hmm. And then once you find that, it's very tempting just to try to push hard to get that product into as many people's hands as you can. And I think that can be a trap. And I think what you should do is you should immediately start worrying about, okay, how do I scale this from the point of view of, I want to be growing my revenue or my customer base 20 to 40%, but I want to be growing my costs to 10%. And that's where I think it's not just about, you've got two separate things that you, you have to address, right? So number one for us right now, it's where's the next city we launch it? Where do we go next? So I think just to talk about that for a minute, you've got to have a system for making decisions. And when you're scaling a company, another thing that happens that you'll notice is everything happens at the speed of light. You don't have the time to sit down and contemplate everything and overanalyze everything. You have to move quick. So the more you can give yourself frameworks to make decisions rapidly, the quicker you can move. So for example, with us, as we start rolling out across other cities in the US, we sort of said to ourselves, well, which cities? And we just don't have the time to sit there and endlessly debate Phoenix versus San Jose versus Atlanta. We had to come up with some heuristics with a framework we can use to throw every city into the top and the best ones fall out the bottom. So we said, okay, well, let's establish some stuff like, let's say we're looking for larger populations, say 750,000 plus, and we want growing cities, so higher than 0.5% population growth. Let's say we want to look for cities where the average rents are above the median for the country, so that's $1,000 for a one-bedroom. And we're looking for places where rents are growing greater than 1%, and property prices are growing greater than 4%. So if you establish yourself some criteria, 
and different businesses, different products are going to have different criteria, but there are kind of a couple of examples of what we used just to be able to rapidly in minutes. So once you spend a little time, let's say you spend a few hours figuring out the criteria based on who your customer is, what your product does, how it helps them, then the criteria for that market, like who those people are that are going to benefit from your product should become obvious. Mm -hmm. um, you can capture that, spend some time, and it feels like you're not making progress. And it feels like you're not making progress because you just need to decide which city you go to next. And all this stuff about demographics and markets and this stuff isn't really choosing a city. But once you do it, then you have figured out your growth plan across the whole country for the next three years in about 10 minutes. Boom, mm -hmm. you're done. So I think you've got to have frameworks so you can move quickly and make quick decisions, especially when you're making decisions as a group. Anyone who's scaling a business, you also got to remember that you're scaling yourself and your team at the same time. And so you're going from a situation where you might have gotten something off the ground yourself on your own, but those days are over. You now have a whole team of people that you need to bring in to how you make decisions, how you evaluate options. You need to hear from those people because they're going to see things. They're going to see elements of a decision that maybe you don't quite see and they're going to bring something that you maybe wouldn't have thought of on your own, but also your execution depends on them doing it and doing it in good faith and being highly motivated towards that goal. And the best way to accomplish that is to bring people along in the conversations like, okay, we've agreed on some criteria. The criteria has yielded a direction. Now we can all execute on the direction and we're all moving in the same way and we all believe in the goal and none of us are thinking, oh, this isn't what I would have done, right? And I think that's super important as well. So I think that's a bit about decision-making. And then I think as part of the scalability side, well, let me stop there and, and, and see. No, please. No, I think I'm doing all the talking here. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to go. Well, I'm interviewing <laughs> you, so absolutely. I was going to ask you about something that you said at the beginning, which I find very interesting there's a difference between getting bigger versus being scalable. And in order to be scalable, as you were talking about, you have to have a system for making decisions quickly. One of the other things that you mentioned is taking a hard look at overhead and cost because as you grow, there will be more cost. So making sure that some of it is fixed. So regardless of how much you grow, you're still keeping some margin. And then obviously there's always going to be variable costs. So what are some tips that you have for taking a look at that overhead cost to make sure that as we're getting bigger, we're scaling and we're not just getting bigger and actually being less profitable? I think at the most fundamental level, you have to know your numbers and you have to know your efficiencies. And I think people starting all kinds of different companies in all kinds of different spaces, probably amongst your audience. And so I'm not sure this sort of necessarily helps everyone, but certainly in an internet business, some of the most important numbers you need to be aware of is things like what we call your CAC to LTV ratio. And what that means is what is it costing me all in to recruit each incremental new customer? What am I spending in marketing? What am I spending in marketing staff and assets and activities to drive new business coming in the door? And then what is the revenue I'm getting 
for each of those new customers. And I think these are that are important to understand because when you look at a budget on the surface, it can kind of look okay and that all the numbers fall in together and there's some kind of revenue or some profit, I guess, which is probably a better word, dropping out the bottom. But is it scalable? How are you going to grow rapidly? Well, you need to be able to look at how much revenue is coming from every individual customer and what is the lifetime of one of my customers? Do I keep customers? Is it a one-off sale? Is it some sort of membership? How long do I typically retain people for? How many sales do they tend to do? Do I keep a customer for five years, three years? Okay, how much are they spending per year? And what do I spend to bring them on board? And I think that's a very important and often overlooked element is that CAC to LTV ratio. In terms of your variable cost, it's probably the single biggest thing you're going to spend every month Mm. is if you're after rapid growth, you're going to be, by definition, investing something, probably a lot of money, definitely a lot of time in acquiring new customers, new business. And that spend has to be outpaced by the amount of revenue those new customers are contributing. Sounds obvious, but you need to understand it and you need to understand how it unfolds over time, over cohorts. So in a lot of businesses, it's unlikely that you're going to spend $30 to acquire a customer and then you're going to make $50 off them in their first transaction. Now, if you find yourself in that situation, then you are killing it. And my advice to you is spend more. Whatever you're doing, just actually spend more and grow faster because you are clearly killing it. Um, It's more likely you're going to spend $100 acquiring a customer and then you're going to get something like $30 in revenue from their first sale. So therefore you need to understand the lifetime value of customers and you need to understand how you retain them and how you keep them engaged in your product and keep them spending over some period of time. What is that period of time? Where is the tipping point? Understanding all that is the key to effective marketing spend. It's both the place where you have the most immediate control over costs and the place where you'll probably spend the most in variable cost in most companies. And again, coming from an internet and technology background, that's where that is most appropriate. And then on the fixed cost side, I think one of the key things to remember is, I think I'd love to almost have a few examples to throw in at me to see if we can prove this in real time. But I think there's very few companies today that can't get more leverage and more efficiency through technology. The sort of things that we can do with technology today fundamentally changes not just what kind of products you can create and what kind of services you can deliver that are new, novel, unique, and interesting in the market, but also how you deliver existing products. So in fact, there's a great saying that we kind of used a lot in tech when I was working in San Francisco called fake it till you make it. And maybe you're Listeners are going to be familiar with that. It sounds more nefarious on the surface than it really is. And what it really means is what you want to do is find a good service that your customers love by doing it the hard, manual, old-fashioned way. So you're not really faking it. You're really just doing it the hard, old-fashioned way. And you want to do that because it's a rapid way of almost prototyping what your product is and what your service is. And you can do this on everything, no matter how large or how old your company is. If you're launching a new product, which you should be at least a couple of times a year to stay competitive, then you launch it this way. So think about it like a startup within a big company. So you start doing something in a manual way with real people until you've figured out just the exact 
right process, exact right elements of the service, the right timing to deliver things to the right place at the right time for the right customer. And once you've nailed it, you stop and you say, okay, how do I recreate this so that it needs no human interaction? or at least an appreciable fraction of what it takes if we were to do it the old fashioned way. And if you can't answer that question, then maybe it's not a good service, or maybe it's not going to be a good product or a good business. Maybe it's something that people like and appreciate, but if you can't figure out a scalable way to do it, you're not gonna be around doing that for those customers forever. And a real example of this is, for example, with us, one of the things we do just maybe to make it real for people for a second. I know we talked about a lot of abstract ideas here real rapidly. So one of the things we do is when a maintenance issue occurs in a unit and a landlord approves the repair work, yeah, please go ahead and take care of that for me. We take care of all the scheduling and the access and the logistics around figuring out when a contractor can get in, figuring out when the tenant's going to be around, figuring out the right day and time, making sure the job actually goes ahead on time, making sure everyone's informed about how it's progressing and then making sure we get those after photos and expense reports and everything back into the landlord's account. Now that's a lot of work as I'm sure you'll know and any property managers who are out there in your audience will know. And of course, once you perfect that, which I think a lot of property managers have anyway, you then say, okay, if I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that in a way that's competitive and scalable, I need technology to do this. So we stopped at that point and we built an AI assistant that takes care of all of that stuff as part of our tech stack. And that way we're able to manage thousands of units with three, maybe four property managers because we bait in the scalability by automating common tasks that are part of the core service. Mm -hmm. I think that is the number one way that you avoid your fixed cost base growing Unless you are manufacturing a physical product and, uh, you know, hey, I don't really come from that space. It's hard for me to comment on that. Then uh, your headcount is always going to be your biggest overhead and your biggest cost. Um, right. And I think I like to try to think the way we're going to become a billion dollar business is by making sure that headcount stays concentrated in smart technologists who can build clever technology that is helpful and human-like in its interactions but shall we say eats electricity not lunch yeah. <laughs> you've used that before i'm sure but i love it so keep okay. using it in other thank conversations <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you for sharing this advice and this thought process multiple takeaways that i have two that stand out is make sure that I know and we know our costs to the LTV. So when listeners hear LTV, they're probably thinking loan to value. But in this case, we're talking about lifetime value. Correct. Yeah. So the, the, cost, right. <laughs> the yes. cost to lifetime value of a customer. So how much does it cost to acquire the customer? And then how much does that customer purchase from us over the lifetime? And then there's a ratio. And then on the fixed cost, Take a hard look at what we have in our business and what common tasks are there that we can automate through technology or license out through some technology that is currently out there because it's likely that a lot of listeners do not have the expertise 
to bring on a team of technologists and hire them and grow their business. I'm sure there's some, but overall, we're real estate investors. So instead, what technology off the shelf is out there that we can bring into our business to automate the common tasks through technology? And it's a powerful lesson or insight to really sit down and think about with our business because if we really take a hard look at it, then there's probably stuff that we can do currently in our business that can be automated through technology, and then that will facilitate the scalable growth, not just getting bigger, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think that's the number one distinction. Am I just getting bigger, or am I scaling and becoming more efficient? And I think for all your listeners who aren't necessarily running technology companies or don't have their own technology team, I'd say, hey, to some extent, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. We build our own technology at Nest Egg, but we're not making computers and we're not producing servers. We're deploying our technology into platforms. So at some point, everyone is leveraging existing technology out there. So I think it's less about focusing on, uh-oh, I've got to go and make technology. And it's more about how do I take what's available to me and combine it in a new and unique and innovative way where it supports my specific business process and, and my specific goals. And I think when you can do that, I think where the two major economic levers start to come together in a way that just accelerates your growth massively is when you start to find those technology-driven efficiencies in your business and you understand things like your acquisition cost to lifetime value ratios and how they unfold over time. What happens is you can take the money that you're not spending having manual things done manually, and you can pour that directly up a line into marketing. And then you're growing your customers more, and then you're getting more efficiencies and that delivers more money that goes straight back into market. So you get into this virtuous cycle that kind of powers your own growth that's when you really hit your stride. And that's why I think understanding how all those numbers work together. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you and your team are doing? Visit us at www.nestegg.rent. If you'd like to try the product out, I'll give you a promo code. It's Joe, J-O-E, drop that in and give your first hour of maintenance free. So you can try the product, see what you think. And then by all means, my first name at nestegg.rent, yakin at nestegg.rent. Always happy to hear from people who have creative ideas or are struggling just to get a business through a certain inflection point. Entrepreneurs, technologists, and many really great and influential people helped me to be able to get the business where we are today. And I believe in paying that back. So always happy to do that. Enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have the best ever weekend. We'll talk to you. Likewise. Soon. Same to you, Joe. Thank you. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.